Uh, John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus. And uh, Nicodemus, uh, his story begins, John chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. It goes like this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, before we get into this text, I want to, continue, I want to consider the context, back up just a little bit uh, into this. Uh, first of all, who is Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus, the text tells us, is one of the rulers of Israel, meaning he is a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, this group of 70 elders and teachers of the law that were headquartered in Jerusalem, and they had, under the, the Roman Empire, authority over every Jew in the Roman world. And Nicodemus is one of these men. And if you skip down to verse 10, a little past where I just read, you'll see that Jesus there calls him the teacher of Israel. And that leads some scholars to believe that Nicodemus was at least one of the most respected of the teachers of the Sanhedrin, perhaps the most prominent of them. And Nicodemus has been watching what Jesus has been doing. Uh, John, in his account so far, has included just one miracle uh, the, at the, the changing of the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. But he's also seen uh, what Jesus did at the temple, presumably just a day or two before. Jesus has gone through with a whip and driven out all of the money changers and the sellers of animals out of the temple. But Jesus has also done a lot of other miracles at this point in his ministry that John hasn't recorded for us. And Nicodemus has seen these things, and he's seen Jesus' claim of authority in cleansing the temple, and he's curious. He wants to know more about him. So he comes at night, which is interesting, that detail. He comes at night. I think it's because he wants to know more about Jesus, but he's not all the way in yet. And he's not sure that he wants anybody to see him going to talk to Jesus. And so he goes at night to ask Jesus uh, some questions, to check him out in person. And he starts off very polite with Jesus. He says, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God. Meaning that at the very least, he and some of the other members of the Sanhedrin recognize Jesus' power as being supernatural and that His miracles therefore must have God's power as their source. 
And so thus he can say, well, we can see that God is with you. But he doesn't really see who Jesus is yet. In fact, what seems like a statement here, we, can, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, is really an implied question. Jesus, who are you? Who are you that you're going around doing these things that we see you doing? Jesus doesn't answer. At least not directly. What he does is he starts teaching Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you were born again, you cannot see the, the kingdom of God. And that statement looks fairly straightforward in English, but it, the, the word that Jesus uses is actually ambiguous in Greek. The word is anothen, which you don't need to know the, the Greek word, but you do need to know it has two meanings. It can either mean born again or born from above. And Nicodemus assumes that he knows which way Jesus means. And he says, well, wait a minute, hang on. I'm an old guy. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be able to crawl back into mama and be born again. How does that work? What are you talking about, Jesus? And there's no way that this can happen. There's no way this can happen. And since he takes Jesus to be saying born again instead of born from above, he misses what Jesus means. That Jesus isn't talking about physical rebirth. And I think Jesus, by the way, is deliberately ambiguous in the word that he uses because he wants to clarify and he wants to draw Nicodemus in to listening to him and hearing what he has to say. And so again, he patiently answers Nicodemus with another statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Before he said you can't see the kingdom of God, now he says you can't enter into the kingdom of God. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone with, who is born of the Spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, you've completely misunderstood me. You have to be born of water and the Spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? Let me just back up. Let me explain what that means. Lots of people say, well, okay, Jesus is talking about water baptism and spirit baptism. Born of water and born of the Spirit. You have to do both. If you don't do both, then you're not really saved. Is that what that means? No, that's not what that means. Some people say, well, that means... You know, like when a kid is born, you know, mom's water breaks, and then they come or they they come out, and then they're born of water, and then and then born of the spirit. Well, I don't think that's what he's talking about either. I think Jesus, because he's dealing with a guy who is a scholar of the Old Testament, has a very specific reference in mind, and it's in Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm not going to have you turn there. But here's what I'll tell you about Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 is a passage where God tells Ezekiel, the prophet, about 
the coming of the new covenant. And the coming of the new covenant will mean cleansing that comes from God. He says, I will pour water, clean water on you to cleanse your sin. And I will send forth my spirit into all people so that they can obey me, not of external compulsion, but out of internal desire uh, that comes only as the spirit gives someone a new heart and a new life. The parallel passage to that would be, would be Jeremiah 31, where God is talking about, I'm going to send the Spirit to make a new covenant that's not going to be like the old covenant that was written on stone tablets that Moses brought down off the mountain. But it's going to be written on your heart by the Spirit when He comes. And so when Jesus says, Nicodemus, you got to be born of water in the Spirit, He wants Nicodemus to go, oh yeah, Ezekiel 36. By the way, Ezekiel 37 God gives Ezekiel the vision of what will happen when the Spirit comes in the vision of the valley of dry bones where that which is dead comes to life again as God's Spirit comes into dead people. And, and this, is some, this is a passage that if you were an Old Testament scholar, you would know this. And Nicodemus misses it. He doesn't understand where he's coming from. And what I think Jesus is trying to do is say this, Nicodemus, if you want to enter God's kingdom, it requires entering into a new covenant relationship with God. And God's new covenant is now present. And your physical birth counts for nothing. Physical descent can only produce physical birth. That's what he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. But you need a new birth. You need life from the Spirit. And the movement of the Spirit in these days is like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see what it does. When the wind blows, you can go outside and you can watch the leaves blow around. You can watch the trees bend. If you watch the news, you can watch guys lean into it, right? Um, you know, you can, you can see what the wind does, but you can't see the wind itself. It's invisible to you. In the same way, the movement of the Spirit is invisible, but you can see the effect that it produces in people that they possess new life and they begin to live in a different kind of way because they have experienced the new birth, the birth from above that Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, Nicodemus, you need to experience that. But Nicodemus still doesn't understand. And so Jesus clarifies some more, verses 9 through 15. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Well, Nicodemus doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. So now it's Jesus' turn. And he asks a very pointed question. 
How can you be the teacher in Israel and not know this stuff, Nicodemus? And remember how, G- how Nicodemus starts off the conversation? We know, meaning me and my buddies, we know that you're a teacher come from God, right? Because he is, in a sense, elevating himself above Jesus and asserting his authority. Look how Jesus responds. He says, we know, referring to himself and his disciples, who are, I think, present at the conversation. By the way, how did John know what was said here? Because John was there. He witnessed it. He saw this conversation go down. And he says, so, What's Jesus saying? Who's really the person who knows about God in this conversation? I'll give you a hint. It ain't Nicodemus. (laughs) Okay. It's not Nicodemus. Jesus says, we testify to what we have seen. And if you want to really know, you need to listen to me. And Jesus says... If I've, I've given you some earthly illustrations, you know, things like being born, about the effect of the wind, and you don't get those. If I, if I lay on you some deep spiritual truth, how are you going to get that if you can't get this? And he's trying to convince Nicodemus of his ignorance and of his need to be reborn spiritually. Because Nicodemus comes into the, this conversation thinking he's got everything pretty well nailed down and bolted together. And Jesus first has to show him that he needs new life through faith in Christ. And verses 13 to 15 might confuse you a little bit, so let me clarify here, okay? According to uh, Bible scholar Don Carson, um, teaches up at Trinity, in Jesus' day, there were a lot of stories floating around about people who went up to heaven and came back and told people what it was about. Kind of heaven tourism, all right? Um, Now, I know that sounds weird, and we would never have anything so ignorant in our day, right? But, (laughs) But in any case, in Jesus' day, we had these people that would write these accounts of people who went up to heaven and came back and told people about it, right? And often the subject of the account was Moses. And that Moses, you know, they would write these things in Moses' name, and they would say, you know, the prophecy of Moses about heaven or whatever, right? Give it these titles. And, and Jesus shoots a hole in all of that stuff. He says, no one has ever gone, back, gone up to heaven and come back to tell anybody about it. The only people who can tell you authoritatively about heaven is the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? That's Jesus' favorite title for Himself. Because He is tying that back to Daniel chapter 7, the divine Son of God who dwells in heaven with God. He came down to tell you about the things of God. And then he goes on, he talks about, he says, and, and just as 
Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. What's he talking about there? Okay. If you read the book of Numbers, there is an incident in there where the people of Israel are complaining. I realize that's not new. People of Israel complain through the entire book of Numbers, if you read it, uh, about no water, no food, you know, whatever. Okay, they're complaining through the whole book, and God sends judgment against them at one particular incident by sending poisonous snakes into the camp. And uh, people begin to be bitten, and their bite burns. It says they were fiery serpents because their bite burns like fire. And people began to die from the serpent's bite. And God said this to, the, to His people. He said, he said to Moses, Go and make a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole and lift it up high enough where everybody in the camp can see it. And anybody who looks at the, at the snake on the pole will live. Now, why the snake? Let me ask you something. Genesis 3 Who's the representative of sin and death and evil? Satan. And what shape does he take? A snake. Okay, so just so we're clear, right? And Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up on a pole like the snake in the wilderness. Paul says, let me clarify what he means. Okay? Paul says that when Jesus died on the cross, He became sin for us. In other words, that, that all, of the th- all of the sin that we have, uh, that Jesus takes all of that on Himself. And so, ju- so the symbol of sin and the thing that Jesus is doing line up and mesh together. And he says, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness and everyone who looked at that snake lived, if you look on me when I am lifted up on the cross, you will have eternal life. Not temporary life like the Israelites got when they looked at the bronze snake, but eternal life. Whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. And it's a great comparison that the symbol of death is the thing which gives life. And because Nicodemus still doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, Jesus continues explaining. Look at the verses 16 to 21 with me here. Great verses. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Make sure you clearly understand verse 16. 
This is so familiar that football players put it on their eye black. It shows up on a poster at every sporting event, John 3.16. And it's become so familiar to so many people that they miss the power and the significance of it. But it is the absolute encapsulation of the Gospel. God so greatly and to such a magnificent extent loved the world. And by the way, the word for world here refers to not the bigness of the world or the the fact that there are so many people in the world, but that the people in it are so wicked. In other words, not for such, not for so many people that God that God loved, but such wicked people that God loved. For God so loved, in other words, the wicked world. God loved the world in all of its sinfulness that He gave His Son as a sacrifice. That's the lifting up on the cross of Jesus. That whoever believes in Him will not perish. That just like those who looked at the bronze snake in the wilderness would be saved from the bite of the serpent, so those who believe in Jesus Christ when He is lifted up will be saved from the bite of the old serpent who brought sin and death into our world, Satan. That's the point that he's making. That God in His extensive, magnificent, overwhelming grace and love looked on a wicked, desperate, rebellious world full of people who hated Him, wanted to go their own way, wanted to do their own thing, wanted to let their own freak flag fly on their way to hell. God sent His Son for those people. And guess who that includes? Me and you. All of us, in all of our sin, all of our wickedness, all of our rebellion against God, God sent the Son for us. Because He loved us. And He did it not in order to bring judgment. The Son did not come for judgment. He came for redemption. Isn't that amazing? I asked this question last week, but let me just ask you this. If you were God, how long would the Bible be? (laughs) I mean, it'd be like, it would not be this, right? It would be like Cliff Notes, (laughs) right? Don't don't act like you don't know what Cliff Notes are. (laughs) It's what got you through school. I know. Okay. Um, It would be really short, right? God created the world and all of this detail and all of the beautiful things about the world. And then man rebelled and then... Whack! God squashed them all, right? I mean, that would be, if we were God, that would be how the story would end, right? But God so loved the world that He sent His Son. And He sent Him not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And in fact, underline these words. These are beautiful words right here. Whoever, whoever, In other words, anyone who believes in Him is not condemned. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that when you die, you do not need to be afraid? 
If you are a person who has believed in Jesus Christ, you are looking forward to seeing God face to face and being welcomed home as His child. And that no sin, no wickedness, no rebellion against Him you have ever done will be counted against you on that day. You will be received and welcomed and God will put you in heavenly dwellings. Whoever believes is not condemned. Of course, you've got to look at the other side of that. If you reject Christ, you're already condemned. You're a dead man walking unless you turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Because He is the only one with a remedy for your dead and dying soul. And Jesus clarifies it a little bit more. Verses 19 to 21. Here's the verdict God has handed down. There's two kinds of people in the world. Two kinds of people in the world that Jesus came to save. The difference is not inherent in the people. It is revealed in their response to the light of the Gospel of Christ. Some run because they hate the light and they want to remain in darkness. They want to remain in spiritual darkness while they continue their sin. Others run to get close to the light. And those who enjoy the light do not do so because of their wonderful specialness, but because their reaction to the light shows that God is at work in them. That's what verse 21 says. That God is at work in them, and God is revealing what His work looks like in the midst of a dark world. And, and, and there is a magnificent choice between the two. between condemnation and commendation, between joy and judgment, between salvation and eternal suffering. God did not, come into the, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Amen? So, let me make the purpose of this passage very, very clear in just a couple of minutes. Let me say what Jesus said in His words. You must. You must be born again. You must be born again. You might be sitting here with lots to commend you, lots of things on your resume you might have a much nicer car than I do. You might live in a much bigger house, have a much more prestigious job, etc. But all of that will count for nothing on the day you stand before God. And what will count with Him is if you are born again. And so you must be born again. Sinful human gives birth to sinful human, gives birth to sinful human. But we need to all experience eternal life free 
birth. And the only way to do that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you have not experienced the new birth, don't let another day go by without understanding what that means and doing it. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to Tony and Ginger that are up here leading singing. Uh, talk to any number of people in this building that can tell you about what it means to be born again. Because no one will escape from God's judgment except those who have been born again. If you have the new birth, though, let me celebrate this with you. You are not condemned. You are not condemned. You might be guilty of all kinds of stuff. In fact, you probably are. If people poured through all the records of your past life, your social media accounts, saw your life, your thoughts, your conversations in private with people when you thought nobody else was around, you would be horrified and so would they. Right? Aren't you glad that you don't have like one of those bubble screens that follows you around like a cartoon character projecting onto it your thoughts at that very moment? Right? I can tell you with all the sincerity of Christ that that is true for me. I am so glad right, that I can kind of play poker and not let people know what I'm thinking at various points. Right? But if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Him, God will not only not condemn you, He will welcome you home as His child. You are not condemned. You must be born again. And when you are, you will live in the light and you will have great joy. Amen? Have great joy. Is there great joy in knowing that you're a loser and God loves you anyway? <laughs> There is, okay, there is. There is great joy in having your sin forgiven, to having your debt before God paid, to having new life by the Spirit of God, and being a child of God. There is great joy in that. And you can live your life honestly with great boldness because if God is for us, who can be against us, right? I mean, what can anybody do to me? Honestly. Put me to death? Hallelujah. I'm going to Jesus. Lock me up? I got lots of time to pray. I can read my Bible if they'll let me have one. Right? If not, I can review the verses of Scripture that I've memorized and the passages of Scripture that I know. And me and Jesus, can we can have ourselves a great time until I meet Him. There's great joy in having new life and knowing that you will not be condemned before God for anything that you have done and that you have new life. And I invite anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, I'm serious, come talk to me after this is over. I would love to introduce you to the greatest person that you will ever meet and the greatest joy you'll ever experience. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that for those of us who are in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. 
that we will not experience judgment because we have been born again. We have been born from above by the Holy Spirit, not because of righteous things that we did, but because of the righteous act of Christ in suffering and dying and being raised to new life that you might bring to new life billions of people around the world. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Nicodemus' story that we might understand what it means to experience new life in Christ. And Father, we love You in Jesus' name and by His Spirit. Amen.